Hello, everyone, and welcome to the leadership show called My Great Aunt Edna. The show speaks on excellence, doing things the right way, no shortcuts, and accountability. I'm your host, Mac McNeil, and today we have a special topic with a very special guest. If you or anyone you know has been a victim of abuse, you definitely want to hear from Kevin McNeil, who's an internationally acclaimed speaker on child advocacy and a retired police detective in the same field. Kevin talks about how taking shortcuts to recovery is not the best way to do things. Enough said. Let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of My Great Aunt Edna, the leadership show about excellence, doing things the right way, no shortcuts, and accountability. We have a great guest today. His name is Kevin McNeil. And yes, the McNeil is spelled just like mine because he's family. He's one of my cousins, but he's also a great leader. And you'll see why Kevin is invited to the show today. So let me tell you a little bit about Kevin McNeil. So Kevin McNeil is a transformational speaker, a victim, an advocate, an author, and CEO of The 12 Project, which is an organization that educates the world and the effects of trauma and abuse on individuals, families, and communities. Kevin retired from the DeKalb County Police Department of Georgia after 20 years of service. He served eight years as a police officer and 12 years as a special victims unit detective. He travels internationally, speaking on topics relevant to child advocacy centers, police departments, Department of Family and Children's Services, district attorney's offices, athletic organizations, schools and universities, parents and foster parents, as well as community members. Kevin has appeared on numerous radio, television, and podcast programs, including TV One's crime investigative series, Fatal Attraction, and has been a guest on Jim Clemente's podcast, Best Case, Worst Case along with being featured in several magazine articles. As I said, there's a reason Kevin is on this show. He's a leader and he's a leader in a field that's extremely impactful and important to what's going on in the world today. So with that, I wanna introduce everyone to Kevin McNeil. And Kevin, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about yourself. Thank you, thank you, Mac. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, I'm Kevin McNeil, as you said, I'm family. I'm a retired special victim detective. I spent 20 years you know, investigating child abuse crime and sex crimes and also eight years patrolling the streets as a police officer, you know, and once I understood that I had a responsibility of all the knowledge and all the experience that I had, I had a responsibility to go back out and give to serve the community in a larger capacity. And so, you know, I, now I do apologize, except that I got a new podcast coming out that's actually dropped this month called Apology Accept, you know, the power of self-love. And what I, why I started that is because a lot of times we know how to give love to everyone but ourselves. And oftentimes we're searching for love outside of ourselves and we don't have, have the, the courage to love ourselves. And it takes courage to love all of yourself, not just parts of yourself. So in this podcast, I talk about, you know, some of the things that we need to do to love ourselves and have a great relationship with ourselves. 
because out of the relationship with yourself comes every other relationship, including that one with God. So I really want to help people understand that, you know, you're responsible for your life. You know, you you can't accept, you know, even though I'm married, you know, I can't hold my wife responsible for loving me. That's my job. Right. And so I want this podcast to be helping and healing to people who have trouble loving themselves. You know, there are many people I know that are in leadership positions and power positions, but they still don't love themselves. And so I just wanted to start a podcast to help people, you know, it drops every two weeks just to help people, you know, it's on iHeartRadio, it's on Apple Podcasts, you can, you can, uh, you can uh, access it through those, those uh, streams, those uh, platforms. But yeah, that's, that's who I am, man. I'm also a survivor uh, of, mm-hmm. of childhood abuse. And so, you know, something bad happened to me. And so instead of blaming what happened to me, and trying to use it as an excuse and blaming other individuals for what happened to me. I took responsibility. And that led me into my doorway or to the pathway, the port of leadership. Um, for me, that's what leadership is, is taking responsibility. Great opening. And what I'm thinking, of course, I know a little bit about what you're doing, but what I'm thinking yeah. when I hear you speak is this is something that men need because there are so many things that I yeah. see out there in the internet, in the world about women and self-care and abuse and yeah. recovery from that. But it's very rare yeah. to hear a man, first of all, put himself out there, but then yeah, offer man. that assistance to everyone. So I, I yeah. absolutely applaud you for that. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, men, men is one of my main uh, topic, uh, uh, my uh, goal and in, in producing this podcast because men don't understand their greatest power is vulnerability and being able to be vulnerable and real. And oftentimes we, we armor up, you know what I'm saying? We build walls and we try to pretend that we're tough and men have feelings too. If we didn't, God would give us tear ducts. Right. So uh, yeah. So that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to get into a few of these formal questions. So the first one I have here, so, you know, you've been in leadership capacity for several decades. And so what would you yeah. say is the single most influential moment in your life that let you know that you were a leader? Oh, man, I remember this like yesterday. I was 17 years old. I just graduated high school. man, And I was and I never forget, you know, my mom stayed in South Memphis, which was a bad, bad neighborhood. And I graduated and I remember standing out at the screen door in the in the in the in the, in the, in the hood that I was living in. And I just saw people sitting around. I saw people getting drunk. I saw people hanging on street corners and I'm looking out the door and I'm saying to myself, what now? And I had a decision to make, you know, I said, I can go out here and get a job and I can do what everybody else is doing. But that's what I was raised to do, to get a job. And I look and just so happened, I remember this recruiter, this army recruiter had been, you know, vetting me through high school. You know, I played football and sports, but I knew I wasn't going to be you know, I mean, I'm five, five, you know what I'm saying? So I knew, you know, it was a, it was a long shot getting into professional sports, even though I had scholarship offers, you know, for, for track and field. But I knew at that point that my decision would lead me to the rest of my life. And for me, that decision was the best decision I could have made in my life was to get out of my comfort zone, get out of my familiar surroundings and go to a place that I would be challenged. And that was the US military, that was the army. And so, you know, going around people I've never met before, going places I've never been before. And so that's when I knew I had the responsibility because once I got on that plane and landed, man, Gus and them drill stars started yelling at me. I was like, man, what did I get myself into? <laughs> and so I knew at that point that I could either turn back around and quit or I can, you know, take the challenge. And for me, that's when I knew Leadership was an important part of life. In fact, one of the most important parts. It's like John Maxwell says, you know, everything rises and falls on leadership. 
And leadership is nothing more for me, it's, it's responsibility, making decisions. Uh, and so that decision let me know that, hey, from this point forward, you have, you know, everybody had a decision. Everybody is, is, is not a leader in a yeah. sense. Most people are followers. They follow what people tell them to do. They follow what they think is, is convenient. They follow what is the, the easiest path. And leadership is not about that. Leadership is about accepting challenges, accepting, you know, the unknown. You know, for me, you know, the unknown is the, is the most powerful path to learning who you are and what you were created to be. So that's when I knew at 17, man, staring at that screen door, seeing people just wasting their life, if I, if I could put it that way, because they were too indecisive and they didn't want to take responsibility for their lives. And so I knew that I was a leader, if not nothing more, I was a leader of my own life, my own decisions. Oh, that's a great answer. So, yeah. I love the end of that. Yeah. You're a leader of your own life. Yeah. Outstanding. Yeah, man. So, yeah. so in your current leadership role, you know, it's drifting courageous and transparent admission of your own past. And you talked about that a little bit. How did you move beyond yeah. normal human barriers of fear and potential ridicule to become a sought after leader in your field? Yeah, I, I think for me, I was I was unhappy. And, I, and as a man, you know, going back to the what we talked about, men not being honest about their emotions, I was unhappy. You know, I was in the military. I, I was a sergeant in the military. And it almost seemed like people were still making decisions for me. Like I had went to Kuwait and then I came back and then the sergeant wanted to send me again. And I thought that was unfair. And I said, you know what, it's time for me to get out. You know, everything has been a decision. And so for me, uh, you know, at age of 12, for people who don't know that about me, I was, I was kidnapped and raped as I came home from school. I was coming from a friend's house, man. This guy pulled me up on a set of bleachers in a football field and, and, and raped me and then tried to kill me. He got on top of me and started struggling. And then I had to fight him off. And I fought him off and I ran all the way home. And I never told my mom the truth. You know, I was too embarrassed about it, you know. Uh, and I told her I was robbed. And she could believe that because we were staying in a rough part of Memphis. Yeah. And I went through most of my life, man, going through these traumatic experiences and addictions, sexual addictions, alcohol addictions. And, and, and I noticed one thing that kept me addicted to these things that I felt like I deserved something. You know, I felt like life owed me something like this happened to me. There has to be something owed to me because of this trauma in my life. And it wasn't until I realized, wait a minute, nobody owes you anything. The fact that you were able to get up and still live, because now I live in the city of Atlanta where the Wayne Williams murders happened. You know, it, it wasn't lost on me that God has reminded me that a lot of boys that happened to a lot of boys, particularly here in this city, and they didn't get up. They got killed. And so that was then I learned the responsibility. Like, wait a minute. You got up. Now you have to do something with that. God allowed you to live. And so now for me, it was about let me go out into the world and teach people, particularly men, how to understand their powers through vulnerability. And so I, when I became a Christian, I saw, you know, people told me that Jesus asked 12 disciples to follow him. And that wasn't true. Jesus wasn't looking for followers. He was looking for leaders. Yeah. yeah. And so but to lead, you have to be uncomfortable and be comfortable being uncomfortable. And so I knew when I stood in front of crowds and told my story, I had a responsibility first to tell my mom the truth and then to go out into the world and say, hey, listen, you know, we all have traumas in our lives. They may, dif may be different, may not be as, as tragic as mine and may even be more tragic. But if you live through it, you have a responsibility to help somebody else get through that pain, that darkness that you came out of. So I knew then I had a responsibility and that's what led me to really be okay. And that allowed me to go, go through life 
um, you know, uh, really forgiving myself about blaming myself. It allowed me to stand in front of groups of people and, and know that I was going to get judged by some people, you know, but when you're standing in front of people, you know, you out front, <laughs> you know, that's how you become a leader in your field. You stand out front and just like the disciples, the world judged them, just like Martin Luther King, the world judged him. We celebrate them now, but, you know, when they were in the midst of their leadership responsibilities, people, everybody didn't like them. And so that was my greatest problem, though. And that's still a challenge that I struggle with today. It's, it's, it's trying to be liked. And I try to get people to understand that that's one of the greatest lessons I've learned as a leader. That if you're sticking to be like, you're not really service oriented or people oriented. You're too selfish and too, too focused on yourself. And so to be a leader, you know, you can't be concerned about being like because everybody's not going to like you because you're making hard decisions and, and they don't like those decisions you're making, but they don't want to take that leadership position themselves. And so, you know, uh, that's one of the issues I understood and I now understand is a real important caveat to become a leader and be a leader. And so... And so that allows me to kind of like step in front and say, okay, these are some obstacles. I got to be uncomfortable and be willing to take full responsibility of everything that comes my way, of everything that's laid in my lap and in my hand that God has given to me. Because, you know, the scripture says to whom much is given, much is required. Then there's another scripture that goes with that that says God won't put more on you than you can bear. And I thought, man, you know, I was taught that wrong. What that means is the more responsibility you're willing to take on, the more willing you are to be a leader, the more God gives you. You can't have success without wanting to be a leader. You know, in fact, I tell people, the first thing I ask people, what was the first thing that God gave Adam and Eve when he created and put them in God? And they said a job. I said, no, he didn't give them a job. He gave them a responsibility. And how they handled that responsibility more was laid up on them. And so a lot of people, a lot of people, my friends, they complain about life, but I recognize there's commonality in all my friends who are not successful as they want to be. Mm -hmm. They're not willing to take responsibility for their lives. And so with that comes ridicule, with that comes judgment, with that comes people not liking you, with that comes you having the courage to be who you are in the world, just as you are, and always seeking to be improving, you know, and so that's one of the things that helped me understand that, you know what, there are going to be challenges and obstacles, but I knew that I had to take control and take leadership and, and being liked, you know, that just, if I love myself, I don't have to worry about other people liking me. That was my point. My point. Another great ending to that question. Yes, sir. I appreciate <laughs> If I love yes, myself, sir. I don't have to worry about other people liking me. Great exactly. point. Exactly. Yeah. So I yeah. do have to go here though. You, you know this, you knew this question was coming. So you've been yeah. a police officer. Yeah. And I must say that this is one of the most distrusted professions within the black community. So yeah. what did you learn from that profession that you currently use in your own leadership philosophy today? Yeah, being a police officer, I understood that, you know what, that was, and I got a new book coming out called Arresting Trauma, you know, um, and, and that's what I talk about, that police officers are given unfair responsibilities to, to police trauma. That's what we're trying. And you can arrest trauma. Right. And so we're all dealing with trauma, particularly if you're African-American, a person of color. Right. The slave trade, you know, our ancestors didn't deal with that trauma. So they passed it along. You know, I deal with epigenetics and I deal with, you know, a lot of science behind that transformational, you know, uh, energy that comes from past generations and intertransgenerational trauma that is passed down. So you're dealing with somebody's trauma that you didn't even know, you know, you were carrying and so as a police officer, I kept going into homes and I saw this, you know, and as an investigator of child abuse, 
I was seeing some of my victims in my child abuse cases end up growing up to be teenagers who were ending up on the, the homicide and the robbery side of things. And I was like, wait a minute, because they didn't deal with their traumas. And so I think a lot of times people don't like the police, but I think it's it's a responsibility that that is given over to people. And every police is not, just like in any profession, it's not right. going to open up. You know, I, I, I read the officers I didn't like. But I think policing, uh, and I know that's the big move to defund the police. There are people who want to abolish police officers. And, you know, and I talk about that in my new book. It's, it's taking response. I got a chapter called Taking Responsibility of Our Trauma. Right. And not blaming somebody else and to have them to take responsibility for what we should fix. Yeah, I didn't experience slavery. My ancestors did. But what they went through, I now have responsibility to benefit and use it to my advantage. And that means helping other people heal. And I can't keep blaming the government for doing to do something that I have the responsibility to do. And I think that's why I get upset with a lot of our African-American leaders today. They keep trying to get a system that they don't like <laughs> to yeah. fix the problem that they're complaining <laughs> about. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it sounds optimal running. If you ask me, you know, you, you want the government to come in and, and fix what you say they caused. And so I, I think we have a responsibility in our communities to not look towards the police. And, and we and I got a, I got this 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 uh, platform now, and I'm talking about, you know, if we really want to deal with this police issue and police brutality, you know, we got to teach people not just to fear the police, but we got to teach people common sense. Like I always tell people, we really want to do something, be leaders. Mm-hmm. Why don't we get lawyers together, a black coalition of lawyers throughout the country, and we encourage people to get arrested, right? And we're going to come at your aid and we're going to get you out of your situation if you were unfairly treated. You know, we're going to go against that. We're going to go after that police department's budget, right? We're going to sue them. We're going to make them pay where it hurts. But if you're teaching people to, to fear the police, then they're running from the police and then they're fighting the police, they're resisting the police. And then that makes police officers, you know, up their level of force. And so what I tell people, you know, this is a campaign I'm trying to start right now is get arrested and not killed. Right. But we don't have anything in place as black leaders to say, hey, we don't have anybody coming to our aid. Like we complain about it, but we got people, you got lawyers, you know, who are civil rights lawyers. You know, if we we can't keep waiting for somebody to get killed for we to step up and say, hey, the police is the enemy. Uh, we got to put things in place. You know, I started my book off actually talking about uh, a story as a police officer. I was in court and I arrested this guy for drugs. And I brought him into court. He asked me what his bond was about. I said, I don't know, but this judge is a pretty fair judge. And so it was this white guy who had been arrested for drugs as well, like meth, you know, a, a more serious drug than I arrested him for. And But his family was there. So the judge asked this white guy questions, you know, what do you do? Do you work? And he's like, no, but my family is here. And so his mom and dad stood up. And the judge was just like, okay, do y'all promise to get him some support, some help if I let him go? And they were like, yeah, you know, we promised. So he allowed the guy to do a signature bond. So the guy I arrested looked at me like, okay, I'm going to use that same story. <laughs> like, and so he used that same story. He was like, judge, you know, I need help. You know what I'm saying? I got a problem. And the judge said, oh, yeah, I know you do. And he asked him where he worked. And he asked him, did he have anybody in the courtroom? He said, no, your honor. you know, I, if you let me out, I get help. And so the judge said, no, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to lock you up and keep you in jail for several months. That way I know you're going to get the help you need, or at least you won't be using drugs. And in, in my mind, immediately, I'm thinking, man, that was kind of racist. That was kind of injustice. 
But then I thought about it. This white guy, the difference between the white guy and the black guy other than skin color was that he had a support system. Mm -hmm. And the judge released him to the support system. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I wonder, the only way I can call the judge racist or unjust if the black guy had his mom and dad there too or somebody in his family and they said we would support him. He did not, that black guy, the same opportunity he gave that white guy. But I was thinking to myself, because I knew that judge, I didn't know him to be racist. In his mind, he probably was thinking that he was giving that guy an opportunity to think about his life, to be without drugs for a minute. And so uh, my, 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 my challenge to people who don't like the police is get involved and solve the problem. You know, you can't, you can't cure hate, you know, with hate. Martin Luther King said only love can do that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, being angry about slavery won't heal us from, it, you know. So being angry about something won't solve the problem. We have to do more than just be angry. We have to do something about it. And we, that's why I call the child to take responsibility for our trauma. You know, my trauma is your trauma, you know, and, and vice versa. So, you know, if we take responsibility in helping each other heal through the process, then I think, you know, if you want to make police officers irrelevant or reform the police department so they can have other roles, then you have to have something come alongside that and say, hey, here's what we are proposing. You can't just say, get rid of this if you don't have that. You know, that's that's irresponsible in my in my mind. Yeah. Again, another great answer. And um, I'm thinking through multiple scenarios right now as you're speaking, like my brain is just pinging everywhere. Yeah. But in particular, I just did an interview with yeah. a young lady. Her name is Nicole Tinson. And I think it would be mm. an awesome experience to put the two of you together. You're both leaders. You're both very yeah. intelligent, both very passionate about what you do. Um, but I think it would yeah. be some complimentary conversations that, you know, we might do a show on that. I'm, I'm thinking through, like, gotcha. get the two of you together. I, I, I would love that. Through those, those scenarios. So, yeah. uh, you know, to keep this thing moving, um, my great aunt Edna speaks of taking no shortcuts. So what does this phrase mean to you and the work that you do yeah. today? Yeah, man, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, when I heard Bishop T.D. Jake say something that, that I felt hit home for me. He said, gifted people, sometimes the most lazy people because they come it comes to them you know like for me speaking comes to me naturally and I have a tendency to say okay I got an engagement like next week I get ready for it next week right because I know every time I get up I can perform I can I can deliver but what that does is it keeps me on a certain level and I'm taking a shortcut and I'm using I'm not using my gift responsibly And so for me, taking the shortcut means anytime that you're not getting up every day and when your foot hit the pavement, to say, I have to do something today to better myself. There are no shortcuts. And that's something that I tell myself. You know, being a brown guy in this field, I'm one of the few brown guys in the speaking field that speaks on this topic that travels around the world and the country. And I have to work extra hard. When people want to book me, they ask me for videos. They ask me for for, for references. They ask me for, you know... uh, do you have any evaluation that you have from the conferences you spoke at? So, and I check around to my you know counterparts who don't look like me, and they said we didn't have to give that, <laughs> you know. So for me, it's not an excuse. It just says that's a scripture in the Bible. I love about the parable of the talents. I love this scripture because most people think that the guy that was given five was the most gifted. I don't. I think the person who was given the least was the most gifted. And I think that because he had more in him 
Yeah. yeah, he had more in him, and God gave him two, or, or the guy gave him two because he knew he had more in him. He was dependent on him to take responsibility for what he had possessed. And so, but what he did, he tried to take a shortcut. He blamed, you know, the owner. He buried the gift. Yeah. And so I think when you when you start talking about shortcuts, that's what you're doing. You know, just because you're good at something doesn't mean that you can neglect the work to get great at something, right? Being good and great are two different things. And people who take shortcuts can be good, but they'll never be great. And you see those people, you know, these has-beens, these one-hit wonders in music and movies, yeah. you know, you know, so, you know, they they take shortcuts. I think if you look at groups like, you know, the Beyonce, yes, she was more talented, but if you watch her work ethic, right, yeah. like the Jay-Z's, they don't take shortcuts. And I think sometimes what happened, I was using the example of the young kids, you know, people are so happy getting in the door and being what they call successful. They yeah. never discovered their possibilities. And I think with shortcuts, you shortcut not only your, your greatness or your ability, but you also shortcut God. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, there's a scripture, we always get scripted to tithe and often, but it says, will a man rob God, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so God giving me a gift and a talent. And I get up every morning and say, you know, I'm not going to read. I'm not going to study. I'm just going to wing it. Mm -hmm. I have a responsibility. And if I try to take shortcut, for me, that's dishonoring God. For me, that's how you worship God. By taking responsibility for responsibility, that means that I'm going to find out what I need to be at the top of my game. And I'm going to make sure I use my time wisely, my resources wisely. If I have to buy a course to go through a course, I'm going to do that. You know, while my friends buying alcohol and they're going to clubs and they're doing all this, I'm home reading. Right? Yeah. There are no shortcuts. So when I hit the stage, you know, people come to you when you're good at something, they'll say, oh, man, you're great, you know, <laughs> and, and and they don't know the work that went in, into what yeah. you did. They just see you in that moment. And there, there was a parable that I heard, I think, changed my life forever. It was a guy, you know, this 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 wise wisdom teacher had this student. The student came to him and said, how do you be great? He said, I teach you how to be great. And so he brought the guy to a graveyard. He said, I, mm -hmm. I want you to stand in the graveyard and I want you to curse everybody in the graveyard. I just want you to say that the worst thing that ever happened is good, that the earth is giving rid of yeah. them good that they did. Yeah. And so he went to the graveyard. He screamed at all the dead people. You know, you the worst thing that ever happened is good that you buried. The earth don't need you anymore. And so the, guy, the, the teacher came back and said, hey, what did they say to you? He was like, what do you mean? What did they say? He said, they didn't say nothing. <laughs> he said, OK, I want you to do the opposite now. I want you to applaud them and I want you to, you know, uplift them. I want you to give them all the accolades that you get. So mm -hmm. the student did it again. Said, you are the most wonderful people. The earth is mourning because of your loss. We have greatly lost a great people because you're in the ground. We wish that we still had you. So this teacher came back the next day. He said, what did they say? He said, what do you mean? Nothing. He said, if you want to be great, you have to be like dead men. You have to be able to ignore what is said about you in a bad way yeah. and ignore what is said about you in a good way. You have to keep moving despite what people say about you. And so in spite what people think about you, if they applaud you for your work, you got to work harder. <laughs> and then I remember this quote I saw also it said, if you're going to be greater than your opponent, opponent, then you have to work twice as hard than your opponent will ever think about work. So if he thinks about running one mile, you run too. <laughs> so, you know, for me, that's how I feel about shortcuts. I can't take them. I can't afford to. And for me to take a shortcut, 
I'm dishonoring God because I'm telling God I'm not grateful for the gift that he's given me and that I want to, to use my gift for me. And I don't think that God is worthy of the time. He's not worthy of the resource. He's not worthy of my struggle to get good use of what he's planted in me. And I think God, just like any investor, wants an ROI. He wants a return on investment. If God invested in me, and proof that God is invested in you, you breathe. Right? You have life. God wants a return on his investment. Yeah, and you does. can't do that by taking shortcuts. Great answer. Probably the best answer I've heard on that question since I've been asking that question. I appreciate so, it. Yes, yeah, so I have uh, one more question for you, and this is my statement. Okay. Question. So as a leader in today's okay. environment, what are one or two things that pisses you off that you wish you could change? Wow. I, I think the first thing I think I alluded to earlier is blaming people for 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 the problems that you want to fix. Um, and I think when you blame people and you expect other people to fix a problem, you know, there's a quote, uh, I don't know who said it, that says that you, you're the problem. You're the, you're the answer to the problem that you seek. And it seeks to solve. And so um, I, I love that because if you think about it, if you think about it, if you think about it, Jesus' mother birthed her own deliverer, right? Moses' mother birthed her own deliverer, right? But they both gave birth at a time when it was not convenient or it was dangerous and they had to have courage. So for me, what pisses me off by some leaders, they're always blaming, they're always showing up after things happen. You know, yeah. they don't have a, they, they're good at, they're good at, you know, telling you what the problem is. They're good at pointing to the problem, but they don't have the solution. And that pisses me off. And that I get I get in trouble a lot because I, you know, I, I, you, you can't keep telling people they're bad or they're yeah. unworthy. And then in this other breath, you want them to be the best that they can be. But yeah. you're making excuses for them. And like you said, they want to take shortcuts. There's reason people play the lottery, right? They think they deserve to win. They don't believe they're going to win. They think they deserve to win. And they want to take a shortcut to getting what people work hard to get to. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But they don't want to take that same dollar, five dollars and invest it because that's leadership. Right. It's taking what you're giving and multiplying it. Right. And so that's the first commandment that God gives Adam and Eve to go forth and multiply, be fruitful. And so most of us go to church and we sit up here and we the best way you can honor God is multiply what God gives you. You know, that goes back to the parable of talents. And I think that's one of the things that's my pet peeve, you know, fix it. You know, don't blame it. Okay, they may be the problem, but what are you doing to fix the problem? And I think another pet peeve of mine is 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 making making money the the sole purpose of your work. And I yep. think I get I get offers all the time, man. People want me to come speak and they want me to influence people, motivate people how to make money doing speaking. I turn them down. It's like, that's not why I speak. You know, I don't speak for money. You know, God gives it to me because I'm, I try to be, you know, uh, honorable and, and faithful with my craft. But, you know, I don't, that's not my purpose. And I think a lot of leaders that you see have faded in the background. They've accepted contracts and money. And when you accept money on other people's, on other people's terms, you can't say what God gives you to say. Right. So for me, yeah. Exactly. For me, leaders are disruptors. They disrupt whatever industry they walk into, they disrupt it. They get rid of status quo, you know, and they create other people who want to be leaders. And for me, most leaders think they're supposed to make followers. And that's how they gauge their leadership. If all you have is followers, you're not a leader. <laughs> you're a manager. 
and, and so great leaders make other leaders. And so I, I think those are two of my pet peeves. Look, let's not blame people and let's not make this about, you know, our growth, our success. You know, you know, I think Jay-Z said it best. He said, he said, if you're the only millionaire in your bunch, your crew, you know what I'm saying? He said that that's not a crew. You know, he said those people depend on you. You got employees. And so uh, you know, and I think that's two of my pet peeves. Look, stop blaming, fix it. You find a problem, you don't like it, fix it. You know, and, and the other thing about that is don't use money as your motivator to fix the problem that you sent in a word to fix because you'll gauge your worthiness, you'll gauge your value based on what you do and don't get. And you'll go out to the highest bidder and that high bidder end up controlling whatever your gift is. And that goes back to what you and I said earlier. That's the, that's the, that's the key to leadership. That's the the, the, the the core leadership is responsibility. So when you give people your responsibility, your power, because they paying you $10,000 to speak, you know, telling you what they want you to say and not say, you no longer become a responsible person. In other words, you're no longer a leader, you're a follower. You're following the money. <laughs> you're, not, you're not leading your gift, you're following the money. And so those are two of my pet peeves. No, appreciate it, Kevin. And thank you yes, for- all of these great answers. These are phenomenal answers. And again, you're inspiring you, me man. already with a, a newsletter thought. Uh, you, you gave yes, me sir. an idea for that. And uh, again, I'd love to, to put you and Nicole together. But before we go today, I want to turn it over to you for any last minute conversations, uh, inspiration, whatever that is for the audience out there. So what would you have to say? Yeah, man, I would tell people be win, become like win. I tell people wind is the most powerful force in the world, if you think about it. And why is that? Because it's not attached to anything. And oftentimes we attach ourselves to our problems. We attach ourselves to our past. We attach ourselves to what we don't have. And we become stuck because all those things become, you know, they become ropes around our hands, our feet. But more important, they become, they become restraints on our mind. And so if you want to be successful in life, become like wind unattach yourself. This is what Jesus meant when he said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but man, the son of man is not attached to any of these things. So he went anywhere and everywhere God sent him. And he was effective where he went because he didn't worry about the attachments that other people worried about. He didn't worry about fame. He didn't worry about power. He didn't worry about reputation. He was like wind. And when you're like wind, you'll blow everything out of your way that stands in your way. So that would be my last word to you. Be wind. Blowing me away, man. You're blowing me away. I yes, love sir. It. I love it. This is time well spent. I appreciate you. Yeah, so everyone that's yes, watching sir. right now, do not hit the stop button yet because we're going to put Kevin's information up on the screen for you to reach out to him. There's so many ways that you can utilize this man's experience and intelligence to help you in your own journey. So if you've ever been a victim of abuse, if you had no someone in your family that's been a victim of abuse, if you need a dynamic speaker, um, he has podcasts, he has a new book coming out. Uh, it's it's just a wealth of knowledge. And as you can see, God has put some things in him that he's going to get out. So make sure you reach out to Kevin. And as always, I thank you guys for watching my great on Edna. Make sure you subscribe on the YouTube channel to hear from leaders from all over the world and how they can help you in your own leadership journey. And so with that, we say thank you. God bless. And may your week be excellent. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. And I want to thank our special guest today, Kevin McNeil, 
for his transparency, sharing his emotions and passion about something that is so important in the world today. Kevin's information is up on the screen. His organization is called The 12 Project, and he has several things coming out. His new book, his new podcast, his new speaking tour, and you can also book Kevin for your own event. Also, I just want to remind you about my book coming out called My Great Aunt Edna, The Golden Girl of Leadership. It will be available in March of 2023 in Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, and wherever books are sold. Please go out and get your copy. And also make sure you subscribe to this YouTube channel and click that little bell so that you get notifications about the new videos that will be coming out and all the leaders from around the world that will share bite-sized nuggets of wisdom that you can use in your own leadership journey. And with that, I say thank you. May your week be great and excellent, and God bless.